You are listening to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we talk about our water crisis on this, the eight-year anniversary of a report of a fuel leak from Tank Number 5 at the Navy's Red Hill facility. Joining us today, Board of Water Supply Chief Engineer Ernie Lau and Gary Gill, who is the State Health Department's uh, Environmental Health Deputy Director. Uh, Welcome to you both. Aloha. Thank you, Ken. Aloha. You know, uh, Gary, uh, you know, uh, and, and Ernie, you know, this facility has been called a ticking time bomb. You know, it's 80 years old. But take our listeners back. Gary, do you remember when you got the report that there was a leak there? I sure do, like it was yesterday. Uh, but I also remember the first time I went into the tanks, which was during the Cayetano administration, uh, about uh, you know 10 years prior to the actual uh, reported spill. And uh, I was the environmental deputy for the director of health uh, for uh, Governor Cayetano as well. And I remember this is the last few months of the administration, and I was uh, leaving the job. And I remember telling my staff person as we left, like, I'm sure glad this thing didn't blow up on my watch. Um, And then I came back to the job with the Abercrombie administration, and it blew up. So I probably (laughs) botched it, I'm I'm thinking, um, by saying anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember the day in, in January uh, 2014 uh, when the Navy reported to the Department of Health uh, that there had been some spill. They didn't know, they hadn't calculated how much, but it seemed like a big one. And uh, my drinking water program uh, director briefed me in the morning about it, and my first question was, did anybody tell the Board of Water Supply? Uh, and she said, not yet. And I said, please do that now. Um, so we at the Department of Health uh, immediately realized that this was going to be a concern for the people of Oahu and the drinking water supply that's managed by Ernie and his team. And um, I want to say that Ernie has stepped up in a big way over all these years to keep this issue alive and in front of policymakers and the public. And that's uh, a large part of why we're here and able to talk about it today. So congrats and mahalo to Ernie. And Ernie, do you remember when you were notified? You know, what went through your mind? Uh, it, it was uh, it was actually today. So this is the eighth anniversary of the notification about the uh, 27,000 gallon leak from tank number five. So first question in my mind was, what fuel tanks? Uh, and where is this located, and can it get into our wells? And um, uh, it was kind of a shock uh, in January 13th, 2014. You know, uh, I had to go back and, and refresh my memory, you know, because I did some of those stories, you know, early on. And I talked to a former colleague of mine, Andrew Pereira, and he did a story. Uh, you said he was at a legislative uh, briefing, and uh, he said the military talked about... Uh, you know, those tanks were being filled, I think, starting back in December, because it takes a while, because those tanks are, are ginormous. I mean, you can fit Aloha Tower in one of those tanks. Uh, and uh, his report indicated that, uh, you know, they had some kind of warning system. They were supposed to check it when they reached a certain level just to make sure the, you know, the tank was sound. Uh, and then they just kept filling it. You know, they didn't follow uh, th- their protocol, apparently, but there was some kind of warning system that went on. 
for like 30 some days uh and i don't know there, there was a, a, a there were a lot of follow-up hearings after this report but gary do you remember that specifically at all or well let, let me just give a little background uh because for roughly 10 years before this bill was reported in 2014 uh the department of health was already engaged in regulation of uh investigation of and cleanup of previous spills. Uh, so there was a lot of work already being done with the Navy over with the supervision of the Department of Health. They had taken core samples of the bedrock underneath the tanks. 19 out of 20 came up stained with oil residue. Um, there were monitoring wells drilled down directly beneath tank five and a few other uh, parts of the tank complex and uh, petroleum uh, pollution had been found in the groundwater directly beneath the tanks. Uh, monitoring wells had been you know, sampled uh, in the area. So there was a, a fair amount of work already done to clean up the known spills, the previous spills, before the big one was announced. Uh, so it, it wasn't a, a shock, unfortunately, um, that there was another spill because we had known that uh, for decades previous, the tanks had been leaking and there was contamination in the groundwater directly beneath them. Now, when the I, I can't address from memory exactly how the Navy did their calculations in uh, filling the tank, but the Tank 5, the, the tank in question, had been taken out of service and had been patched up by the contractor and then was being refilled. And the bottom line is that at the, after having refilled the tank, the Navy calculated that they had pumped more into the tank than was in the tank. Um, and then they back calculated um, how much should have been there uh, and how much actually was there and uh, basically came up with whatever slide rule they were using with the 27,000 gallons of fuel missing. It's important to know that that is a, a best guess on the Navy's part. There's no way of verifying it because when the tanks leak, the material is gone. It's gone into the rock and into the groundwater, and you can't measure it after it's gone. They could only measure what they thought they pumped, uh, and what they could measure was in the tank. Um, I don't recall that it took 30-some days to fill the tank. Um, you know, I guess it depends. Um, but it, it does take days from them pumping uh, full, full bore to fill an empty tank uh, to the time that it, it should be uh, filled up with 12 million gallons of fuel. Well, Ernie, you know, when, when you realized what we were dealing with, uh, you know, what were your thoughts? I mean, uh, uh, I know I was listening to a recent hearing, and I know the Department of Health, uh, Joanna Sito, was saying that, you know, she has nightmares uh, about this facility. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure you've had many sleepless nights uh, over this issue. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Catherine, uh January 13, uh, 2014, began an eight-year quest uh, by the Board of Water Supply to seek answers, to seek information from the Navy uh, about this facility and the inherent uh, risk and issues with it related to it. Uh, 
the question, the first question that came to our minds was, can this fuel migrate across Halawa Valley? Uh, because we're only 5,000 feet away to the west for one of our larger sources, Halawa Shaft. Uh, and we were concerned that leaks from the facility could make it eventually over to uh, our drinking water sources. It's It's been a real challenge. Um, you know, going back to your original question, yeah, I, I believe the operator that I was in, the operators that run the facility, they have a, a system of controls or monitoring and there are alarms uh, going off, but I guess they get so many alarms after a while, they just ignore these alarms. And uh, uh, I think there was another uh, Navy uh, organization uh, called SPAWAR that might have done, a, done an analysis of those logs of their the Navy SCADA system, Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition System. And their estimate might have been a little higher on the release, more, more like 34,000 gallons. Uh, but the official Navy position has been uh, 27,000 gallons leaked out of Tank 5. And Gary's right, it does take days to fill it. Likewise, I think when they discovered the leak, it took them on the order of maybe five or more days to empty the tank. Uh, because these tanks are so massive, uh, uh, it, it can happen quickly. And as far as where that fuel went, I mean, you know, we get trace amounts of things in our water as we've tested over time, haven't we? Uh, and for the Board of Water Supply, you know, that began eight years of testing of our five nearest Board of Water Supply wells for petroleum contaminants. I'm glad to report at this time there has been no detections of petroleum contaminants in our five closest wells on either side. Uh, to the west with Halava Shaft, Aia Wells, Halava Wells, and Aia Gulch Wells, and to the south for uh, our Moana Loa Wells. Um, uh, we continue to test and uh, continue to find uh, no detections at this time, which is actually uh, good news. Uh, but uh, we, we need to stay vigilant uh, on this. And, and Gary, you know, you uh, and I have talked before, and, and you believe that some of that fuel from past leaks has somehow made it into our groundwater. Oh, most definitely has. That's a, that's a scientific fact. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we had been monitoring these uh, the leaks and the material that was in the groundwater below the tanks be- long before the Navy um, announced this new spill in 2014. Um, and uh, I, I want to I be clear on this point because people kind of get confused about uh, what is groundwater and what is an aquifer and how it works. But you know, basically, if you imagine the ocean as, as water in your dinner plate and you put a sponge in the middle of your plate, that sponge is, is the island of Oahu. And the water in the plate might be the ocean, so it's salty, but the water that falls on the island in rain soaks into that sponge, our island, and then it creates a kind of an underground lake, if you will, of fresh water that's riding on top of the salty water on that sponge. And that's what we tap for drinking water. And it's the purest water on the planet. Um, You know, it's... Uh, it, the threat to it is human pollution, and we've seen that with agricultural chemicals getting into that groundwater, and we've seen it uh, particularly in this case with jet fuel 
or petroleum byproducts um, from these fuel tanks. But the groundwater beneath the tank has been polluted. These tanks have leaked continuously uh, over the years, probably from the day that they were built in the 1940s. Um, and so the Ernie's concern is, is probably twofold. The first concern is, is that pollution migrating underground to where the drinking water wells are nearly a mile away? And that's a big concern. Um, but a longer term concern is even if we're not pumping the polluted water into our drinking wells, it's polluted water, which is a water resource that belongs to the public. It belongs to our kids and our grandkids. The Navy has no right to put fuel in it. This is, this is a public trust resource that belongs to the people of Hawaii. Um, and so the Navy is legally bound, morally bound, uh, to protect that resource. At the time of the spill, I was looking back at uh, some of the reports that the Department of uh, Health had required of the Navy and I noticed that they had logged a naphthalene um, contaminant in their monitoring well near the tanks. And it was a small trace amount, but I realized that their monitoring well was exactly the same location as their drinking water well, the one that is now famously polluted. and. So they knew eight years ago that there was a trace of petroleum in their drinking water well. They knew that. I knew that. I called this to their attention on day one, and they pretty much blew it off. They just ignored it. Um, and here we are today, uh, you know, dealing with their non-response to this threat of contamination. Well, let's just flash uh, forward, I guess, or flash back to two months ago, uh, the last week of November. That's uh, believed to be the first indication uh, that something was not quite right. Uh, Oahu residents began calling 911, troubled by strong uh, fumes of fuel in the air. They came from the civilian community of Foster Village, as well as from military families at Aliumanu. Uh, take a listen. Fire Department, I just have the emergency. Hi, um, I said like fuel, like diesel fuel. I live on AMR, and um, I just, it's a very strong odor. You come outside and you can smell it. Okay, hold on. Let me get in touch with the, the Fed Fire Dispatcher. Military yeah. 911, address of your emergency. Hey, RDC, this is Fire. I got a call online uh, calling from AMR with a strong odor of uh, diesel. Um, I did not dispatch yet. I wanted to bring you folks in and see if you still want, if you want us to come and stay yet. Ma'am? Yeah, we'll take it. You know, and I guess there's a fuel, like a jet fuel storage area by Red Hill area, but um, just it's a strong odor. And then another woman from an adjacent neighborhood calls in the emergency. This is the fire department, address of your emergency. Well, I live in Foster Village, and yeah. there's some kind of smell. I'm not oh. sure if you guys got a couple calls from that. Mm, what kind of smell is like, it? It's, what kind of smell is it? Like gasoline? 
gasoline, um, you know, like, like gasoline, what is the other one? Diesel. Oh, like diesel, okay. Somebody that's in, a you know where AMR is, the crater? Uh-huh. Um, they are reporting an odor of diesel also. I mean, they look like they're nearby, but kind of far away, so I'm not sure where this diesel is coming from. We're calling the military to see if they know what's going on right now, but if you want a truck to come to you, if it's strong where you're living, I mean, where you are right now, uh, we can start there and see if we can locate something. And yet another 911 call is made. Eric Nunes has lived in Foster Village for more than 15 years. He told us the smell was coming from the diamond head side of his home. It was after about 10 p.m. We were getting ready for bed, and it was a strange smell. My daughter actually brought it to our attention because she um, she sleeps on this side of the house. Um, and then I had thought it was the neighbors that were cooking or doing something, but we, we went outside, we checked around. It was all dark. Nobody was doing anything. So we just called it in to let them know that we had a strange smell. And it was fume-like. Um, it wasn't like someone was doing barbecue or a cookout, um, and that's what was strange about it, and that's why we it in. You know, two weeks after that, families began reporting fuel in their tap water. You know, this is the first that we're hearing of these 911 calls, and it's been kind of like, a, you know, putting a puzzle together. But, uh, you know, what's your reaction, you know, hearing these families, you know, experiences? Uh, well, it's sort of the worst case scenario that we had all feared and, and anticipated. Um, I, I think Ernie pointed out early on in our discussions with the Navy after their reported spill eight years ago, that the well that they depend on, the Navy's well, the Red Hill drinking water well, is the most endangered, the most in jeopardy of pollution. It's not just that the tanks might leak and that the groundwater could be polluted through the bedrock, but their drinking water well is connected directly to the tunnel system that provides access to these Red Hill tanks. If a pipe were to burst, the oil would flow right down the tunnel and into their drinking water well. Uh, it, it's phenomenal uh, you, to look at how brazenly the Navy was so confident in their systems, having operated this thing for 70 years that uh, they, they thought it was all protected and foolproof. But, I mean, anybody walking in there would go like, whoa, hold on, <laughs> you know, this, this could be a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to criticize the Navy operators. They're professionals and, and they're mission-driven. But the problem is their mission is impossible. Mm. The way that these tanks are configured the way that the tunnels are designed and the placement of their drinking water well, it's impossible to prevent this contamination over time. It will happen. The tanks are 70 years old, 80 years old almost now, and they're a quarter inch of steel. And we know they've leaked. We know they're rusty. And we know that there's human error. And we know that there are pipes and pumps and everything involved, right? right over their drinking water well. So, I mean, this is a, 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 the worst time possible to say I told you so, um, but yeah, we told them so, 
and Ernie's been on their case from for you know every day for the past eight years. So uh, the tragedy of this is it was all not just predictable; it was predicted. Yeah, and the Navy's response has been inadequate. We do have a caller on the line, John from Kapolei. What's on your mind? So I'm new to the islands, and I just started following this. Um, quite frankly, I'm amazed. Um, what was just said about the Navy, um, I mean, you got 93,000 military personnel that have been impacted by this. You've got tanks that haven't been inspected in over 40 years. You've got a complaint of safety by employees that work there. You've got a lack of training on the part of uh, the Navy as for the personnel that are working there. You've got people complaining about a hostile work environment. And then when the Admiral in charge is asked about this, he says, I don't really don't know anything about that. I'll have to get back to you. Um, tomorrow's the day that they're supposed to have finished the outside uh, evaluation. I'm going to be real curious to see that. Um, you know, these types of problems exist um, nationwide, and uh, some often they're linked to the military um, and their belief that, you know, they have to put, well, quote-unquote, national safety above people's lives. I think it's a critical thing for them to to pay attention to not only their people, but the people that live here in the island. You know, we've got a right to safe drinking water, and this this facility is outused. It's um, it's it's, uh, it's outlived its usefulness. It's past its expiration date. They need to come up with something that actually works in real time, and they need to do some long range planning. Well, we certainly appreciate you uh, calling in and sharing your thoughts. You, uh, you're listening to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio and on this eighth year anniversary of a report of a fuel leak from tank number five at the Navy's Red Hill facility. We are joined by Board of Water Supply Chief Engineer Ernie Lau and Gary Gill, who is the state's environmental uh, health deputy. You can join the discussion uh, by calling one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. We'll be right back after a break. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with a selection of gifts, publications, and handcrafted goods at the Homa Shop. Proceeds benefit museum programs and exhibitions. Also online at shop.honolulumuseum.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Dr. Susan Campbell, author of From Triggered to Tranquil. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about techniques to help you calm your emotional reactivity. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, Ernie Lau, you heard those 911 tapes. You know, what were you thinking? I, uh, that must have been really scary for the, the residents in those areas uh, to actually have that smell occur. 
but you know, uh, Catherine, it's almost like uh, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. Um, on December 15th, I, I got a chance to go into the facility to, to look at the damages to the pipeline that occurred on the release on May 6th and to also get an explanation on the November 20th uh, release uh, near Red Hill Shaft. Uh, what I also noticed in that tunnel, they've installed an extensive uh, ventilation system. I mean, I've been in the Red Hill uh, fuel facility maybe over a dozen times over the years, including going with Gary Gill. When we saw the oily spot on the concrete wall below tank number five, and that's how they figured they had a leak when they saw that oily spot appear on the concrete. I remember Gary touching that, and I don't know, Gary, if you tasted it too, uh, but uh, <laughs> but when I uh, when I, I got oil go on, on my fingers, I didn't try to taste it, but I did smell oh, it. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely oil. Uh, but but I I noticed when those early uh, trips into the facility with the Navy, I'd come out smelling like diesel. My clothes would smell like diesel. My hair. Uh, but the more recent trip, because of the ventilation system. Boy, it really didn't smell like diesel coming out after going into the facility, which tells me that ventilation system, when they had that release in November or when they have releases in that lower tunnel, the ventilation system puts it out into the air. And, I, and I'm just uh, speculating that maybe depending if it was a trade wind day, if the winds just carried the uh, fumes uh, across the uh, Monolore freeway to, the, to those residents. Well, I have to admit, you know, after listening to those tapes, uh, one thought that uh, crossed my mind was, you know, how do we deal with an evacuation if it ever comes, you know, uh, to that? If there's a situation, right. would we require a mass ac- evacuation of neighborhoods? Where do people go? You know, how does that all work? Uh, and then right. that's a that's probably a a, a a topic of discussion for you you know for another day for a uh, for a whole hour on this, but. Uh, uh, yeah, as you as we just stop and look over the last two months, just you know, putting those pieces of the puzzle together, you know, they the Navy thought it was a a certain amount that was spilled, and and come to find out, it may have been more. And guess what? It got in the water. Uh, but yeah, any thoughts about that on this anniversary? Yeah, uh, yeah there's something I'd like to to throw in here, uh, Catherine, mm-hmm. um, and and this was part of the probably the major part of the frustration in trying to deal with the navy and get their commitment and sign on to this consent agreement um i came to realize there really is no one navy that we could deal with um you have the pacific command and you have the pearl harbor command and you have the defense logistics agency and you have navfac which is their engineering command that is responsible for all kinds of things, everything from rental housing to paving the roads to fixing the pipes and stuff like that. And, you know, there's it's such a large beast, um, the, the Navy here in Hawaii. And then you're not even talking about whatever their chain of command is from the Pentagon or, you know, from the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the President himself. Um, it's just such a huge organization, um, really difficult for any one of, I'm, I'm feeling like as if I were one of their admirals. You know, it's like everybody has a boss and everybody's boss has a boss. And the whole mission of the Navy is national defense and projecting American foreign policy through the Pacific to Asia. Um, the whole reason that you and I are speaking English right now is because the Navy really coveted Pearl Harbor 150 years ago. 
um, as a coaling station, right? They were just going to stack some coal there during the Hawaiian Kingdom days so that they could, you know, fill up coal on their steamships. Well, and that turned into like this huge military base, and it just has so much momentum behind it to protect what it has. This Red Hill facility, no admiral wants to be the guy who lost this facility for you know, the Navy and Pearl Harbor. Um, and they as much would tell you so. Um, but then the, the Defense Logistics Agency doesn't like the underground storage tanks because they're always leaking. They're a pain, and it costs them a lot to fix it. DLA is the agency responsible for providing fuel to all the different branches of the military. So that's an entirely different wing. You know, you're dealing with all these different people and they rotate out every two years. So the new guy comes in, he didn't know anything about it, and uh, he basically listens to the Navy's PR team, and the PR team has basically a three-point program for public relations, which is deny, delay, and, and distract. It's like, this is not a problem. Oh, it's going to take us forever to fix it and cost too much, and you know, go think about something else. It's really frustrating sitting down trying to get this organization to step up and trying to help them. It's like, let us help you find the millions and millions of dollars through our congressional delegation, through Congress, so that you can fix this thing. Fix it up. And they well, well spoken, they were determined that it wasn't necessary. You know, and Ernie, you know, I know I've had some frustration just getting information, uh, you know, from the military. We got wind of some uh Reports of leaks into Pearl Harbor from the hotel pier and Kilo Pier uh, last summer and and uh, was, you know, banging on the door trying to get information about that and uh, was told I might have to FOIA the Navy directly, uh, you know, to get the information. I did finally get it. Uh, the AG's office stepped in, uh, you know, a thousand pages on a seven o'clock at on a Friday night, <laughs> but uh, that, that I think was then kind of the start, right? Uh, Civil Beat got a hold of some uh, internal emails that indicated they really didn't want that information to come out because they were in the process of of uh, the contested case hearing and the optics would look bad. Uh, but yeah, the, the frustration, I guess, that the military hasn't always been transparent about the leaks linked to the pipeline or the tanks. Uh, that's really correct. Uh, you know, from, from day one, uh, uh, we we suggested to them just you know just come clean just, just be transparent just share what the information about this facility maybe we can work together to try to solve this problem but uh, it, it's been a eight year battle of trying to get information and data uh, from the Navy and we know we're only scratching the the surface of it uh, it's like the tip of the iceberg we we think there's much more information available than and that we've actually been able to uncover. And uh, I, I, I sympathize with you, Catherine. We've foiled them, too, and we've uh, been very frustrated at times and not getting the information. You know, a major development this week is that on Capitol Hill, the Navy testified at a congressional armed, armed Services Congressional Readiness Hearing that it would take steps to comply with the governor's order to come up with a plan to defuel uh, the Red Hill tank farm by February. Uh, here's Rear Admiral Blake Converse, Deputy Commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. The well has been uh, isolated and it will remain isolated until we've taken corrective actions or taken actions 
to establish a filtering system for the Red Hill shaft well. We are aggressively pursuing the third party assessments directed in the emergency order that will enable us first to identify and fix the problems associated with the operations and maintenance facility that caused the spills and the contamination and that will allow us then to conduct further fueling and defueling operations and that will set the conditions for the ability to defuel the plant. And the Navy's under a a tight timeline, February 2nd, and when asked if it could complete that order in the next three weeks, uh, here's Rear Admiral Peter Stamatopoulos, a commander of the Navy Supply Systems Command. But as you're aware, the complexities of it may require more detailed uh, engineering analysis if that comes to pass within that assessment. But there will be a high-level implementation plan and work plan, if you will, to move forward. And Ernie, what what were your first thoughts when you heard that they were going to actually try and come up with this plan and and, and comply with the governor's emergency order? Uh, one, one thing I've learned over eight years of uh, uh, in discussions with the Navy uh, about this facility is that you have to listen to all of their words that they've spoken. You have to listen very carefully because uh, they're very good at hedging their words and uh, leaving things somewhat open-ended and non-committal. Uh, so I, I hear that it sounds sounds good. Sounds like they're going to move on it, but there are a bunch of uh, conditions or caveats there that tells me or gives me the feeling that the Navy may just drag this out. Uh, and, and again, you know, I come back to the Department of Health. Uh, Gary's the former employer. You know, please stay on the Navy. Hold them to these deadlines. Don't give them extensions. Hold them. Hold their feet to the fire. You know, that leak has displaced 3,000 families who are going back and forth from Waikiki hotel rooms to their homes. Uh, here's Vice Admiral Yancey Lindsay, commander of Naval Installations Command, uh, talking about the time frame for their return. We're working diligently with our partners at the Hawaii Department of Health and the EPA and our fellow services to, once we attain that uh, drinkable water and it is safe to use, then that those families that have chosen to displace will be will be able to return to their homes. We expect that to uh, begin occurring here in late January and proceed through the middle of February. Original estimates were not accurate because of the scope and scale with which we had to address the water system. Yeah, so, you know, you've got that uh time frame of return kind of stretching out you know i think everybody's hearts go out to those families uh, affected uh we do have a call for, uh, from arlene from waikiki you have a question um yes i do i was calling regarding the long-term implications of the contamination of the well um the drinking water well of honolulu in the summer months in particular the uh, issue of salt water contamination if we're pumping the shallow wells to supplement our water supply and or the um, your concern over getting the jet fuel into our drinking water over the summer months. Ernie? That's my question. Ernie, you want to take that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you, Arlene. Those are good questions. You know, what we've, uh, right now we've shut down three wells, uh, three border water supply wells. You know, these are not Navy wells. Uh, the largest being Halava Shaft, uh, which is like a 10 to 12 MG million gallon a day source. Uh, our IAEA wells and our Halava wells, which are smaller. 
Uh, together, they total about thir- over 13.5 million gallons of uh, supply capacity that we no longer can use to meet the needs of our community. Uh, for Halava Chef, which serves the Honolulu community uh, from the Aia, Mauna Loa area all the way out to Hawaii Kai, uh, that represents about 20% of the supply, roughly. Uh, so, and then for the other two wells, for the smaller system serving Aia and Halava, it's about 50% of the supply capacity. Uh, so our concerns are uh, what's going to happen during the summer months when we know that normal uh, water usage actually goes higher during the hot, dry summer periods uh, than in the winter periods that we are in right now. Uh, so we'll be, we'll, we'll, the question is, will we have enough water to meet the demand? Um, and that's where we feel that the, we're going to need the cocoa of all of our customers in these systems, uh, especially to uh, practice water conservation, not to waste water, uh, to use it wisely. Uh, and we, we'll monitor it. But these wells all tap uh, groundwater aquifers, underground aquifers. Uh, that is basically a freshwater body in the porous lava rock floating uh, and this fresh water is floating on salt water below the island. Uh, so we have to monitor how much we pump out of these uh, other water sources that we can still operate safely without getting fuel into our water system and watch the saltiness or what we call the chloride levels in, in the uh, water we're pumping. If it starts going up, we're going to have to back off and reduce the pumping to a, a level that will maintain the quality or, uh, of the water or the freshness of the water. Uh, so that's something that we'll be doing, uh, working closely with the Commission on Water Resource Management, too. Uh, so the situation is, is we're going to be very challenging. We sort of had a preview of this scenario uh, when we had a 42-inch main break just on the freeway just uh, outside of Fort Shafter, the Army base there. Uh, it was damaged by an Army uh, uh, sewer line project uh, that damaged a 42-inch main uh, right there along the freeway. And it took us about a month to repair it. Uh, so we saw that we had Hala, and that's the pipeline leading out of Halava Shaft. So we lost Halava Shaft effectively and our Monolo wells. Uh, and we found that we were, uh, and that was during the, the hotter summer months, and we were having problems, uh, I think, filling the reservoirs, especially in East Honolulu. Uh, so that's something we, we, we know we're going to have some challenges, and we're going to need everybody's uh, help on this. I think of that line from the Joni Mitchell song, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And Unfortunately, you know, you wake up every morning, you turn on the tap and you you clean fresh water. You don't smell diesel or jet fuel in it. It doesn't smell like a gas station. We kind of take it for granted, but, you know, kawai ola i kawai, water is life. Uh, And... And right now we're in this, uh, and somebody just recently suggested that I haven't used the term environmental disaster, but really, and he was absolutely right. I haven't used that term before, but this is an environmental disaster. And then unless we can empty out these fuel tanks as quickly as we can, the pipelines included, the environmental disaster can grow worse because as long as that fuel is stored 100 feet above the drinking water aquifer, we are all at risk. And I think as we watch what those families in those affected neighborhoods are going through, you know, what the businesses are going through, the churches in the neighborhoods, uh, you know, you worry uh, for what could happen if it happens to the, you know, broader 
uh, Board of Water Supply and the, the, the larger uh, population of residents, what kind of response will we see? Catherine, uh, when I you know saw what was happening to the poor Navy families, I saw how they uh, testified at the town meetings uh, set up by the Navy. My heart was breaking. Uh, it, it was a sad, sad situation. Uh, and I, I don't want that to happen to the broader Honolulu and I and Halava community because it, it would be something that we would have difficulty recovering from. We don't have the resources of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense. Uh, we're just a small water utility serving a million people on the island of Oahu. Uh, so prevention is better. This is a this whole this whole lesson at Red Hill is an exercise I think on a failure to do prevention. Uh, so we had to take it had to come to this point where you had an environmental disaster and now we're all reacting to it, but it was totally preventable. There was decades worth of uh, information studies by the Navy's uh, own uh, consultants that they hired that indicated that this was a problem, uh, a disaster waiting to happen. They didn't use the word disaster waiting to happen, but uh, they had the warning from uh, decades uh, ago to, that this is, this is a uh, risk to the environment, a threat to the environment. It's also a threat to our economy, because if we have this contamination in the broader community, you know, Waikiki is a, our economic engine, uh, you know, you've got development plans for affordable housing, uh, you know, uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, businesses planned, you know, along the rail route. And so, yeah, it, it will affect more than just our drinking water. You know, Catherine, that's if a I very can... good point uh, because the, uh, uh, you know, there, there's no life without pure drinking water. And also the economy de- depends on it. You can see the impacts of uh, Joint Base Pearl Harbor uh, water not being able to be uh, to for people to drink it or to use it. That's uh, something over the years we've tried to convey uh, the importance of this water. You know, we we the the, the military is also big employers, so I know it brings a lot of money to economy, the economy. And I I I, I, I don't get me wrong, I'm not against the military. They they really protect our freedom and protect our lives, uh, but. They need to be responsible and accountable uh, to also be good environmental stewards. Uh, and the economic impact, I think, is is something that uh, uh, the economic impact of the military on our islands is important uh, for our economy, but also the incon- inc- economic impact of their lack of stewardship of our water resources, of our environment, also has a cost to our economy in the state of Hawaii. Mm. Gary, you wanted to add Ernie, something? I wanted to amplify, yeah, just, just one point, because we're talking about how special and unique and valuable this freshwater resource is in our, in our ground, and underground on Oahu. And even if the military were not there or Red Hill was not there to threaten this resource, it's, it's already threatened by other environmental factors, sea level rise in particular, or climate change. Uh, in particular, where we don't know if we're going to get more rain, uh, you know, uh, or less rain, which is what the ultimate source of our drinking water is. Uh, if sea level rises, the amount of salt water uh, intrusion into our current wells could also reduce their quality. So 
it's it's not just you know today's drinking water that's being threatened. It it's the future uh, of what we can depend upon or or how uh, how we can distribute this precious resource and uh, ration it basically to support the number of people on this island. Um, so all of those stresses are going on at the same time, which only intensify uh, the importance of the job that Ernie and his team are doing and the importance for the Navy and everybody to, to step up uh, for greater protection and conservation of this resource. We have a call, the, the, uh, we have a call coming I in from make, Honolulu. What, one, okay, I'll take Okay, uh, Isha, what's on your mind? Hi, just two quick questions. One is... The similar episode at Camp Lejeune in which uh, it was shown that the um, levels in the water were elevated, which did end up being related to different types of cancer and lymphoma and scleroderma and Parkinson's, etc. Is this the same fuel or type of fuel that's being leaked at the Red Hill? And the second question is, if the aquifer gets contaminated, how and how long would it take to clean it and, and what would be involved there? I'll, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Who wants to answer that? Uh, Gary, you want to talk about the health? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, you talk about the health effects. Uh, I'm I'm not completely familiar with all the aspects of the marine camp at uh, Camp Lejeune and the contamination there, the, the nature of the contaminant uh, or contaminate uh, chemi- chemicals that were in their drinking water for, for a long time, I believe. Um, so that I, I kind of would have to defer the health effects uh, of exposure sure. to fuel and drinking water to the DOH. Sure. You know, um, there are a number of carcinogens in fuel. It kind of depends on their concentration uh, and what kind of fuel went in there. You know, benzene in particular uh, is always flagged. Um, I, I don't have that information in front of me, and I don't know if there have been any recent uh, changes in regulations, um, but basically when it comes to petroleum byproducts in groundwater, my understanding is there's no standard because it's not supposed to be there. Um, you know, we have standards for certain agricultural chemicals and things, you know, where you can take them down to, you know, so many parts per million or billion or trillion, and it's considered uh, to be safe. Uh, but I don't think there is that standard for petroleum byproducts. They're just not supposed to be there. So there's no level that's acceptable in my mind. And in we have terms of we oh, we ahead. do have another call on the line. Uh, Michael from Honolulu, you have a question or or comment? No, I just wanted to make a comment about the fact that given the long duration of those tanks on island above the aquifer. Um, I, I, I just disheartens me to hear the Navy uh, be uh, vilified to the degree that they are, given that our state health department has had access to these tanks and has been dealing with these tanks for the entire time that the Navy has. So the fact that a, a better solution hasn't been arrived at before today uh, is not all the Navy's responsibility. Furthermore, I know that the health department knows that the Superfund dollars are very scarce for these federal um, installations, and they are 
Superfund projects ongoing at any given time, cleaning up other toxic problems that are on these bases and near these bases. So that's it. It's just a general observation. Reaction? Yeah, Kathy, let me address that because it's, it's a great observation. There's one ele- element of it that is not true. Um, the Department of Health, the State Department of Health, and the, the environmental regulations did not exist the entire time of these tanks, uh, certainly not in the 40s. Um, and it was only in uh, the early 2000s that the Department of Health came into uh, relation with the Navy and started to uh, employ our uh, regulations um, over the Navy. And I, I wanted to make this point earlier uh, in this uh, consent order that the Navy signed, uh, Section 5 on page 6, subsection 9, the Navy and the DLA confirm that they are uh, governed by state regulations. So that um, and they, they've signed off on that. So when they said they were going to con- you know, contest the the order, it kind of makes you wonder how closely they read the what they had already agreed to. Well, we've got about um, a minute but, left. I don't know. Are there uh, final thoughts? Ernie? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, thanks, Catherine. Sorry, Gary. Uh, just, uh, you know, we remain hopeful that the Navy will con- will continue to move forward and, and uh, basically demonstrate through their actions that they will fully comply with the emergency order of the Department of Health. And Gary? Uh, I wanted to go and uh, we didn't address that question of what can you, can be done to clean up the water from the from the well, the polluted water. And that's a really critical question. I think the expectation is that the Navy could filter their groundwater with a carbon filtration system that really depends on the concentration of petroleum uh, in the water. Uh, it may not be possible. I don't want to speak out of turn as I have not seen the data, but that well may be dead forever. Wow. So uh, lots to consider on this eighth anniversary of the uh, spill, that large spill uh, from tank number five at Red Hill. We are dealing with a whole nother situation here. Uh, You know, a couple of spills in the last year, and uh, we've got to find a way forward. Uh, We do appreciate uh, your time. We'd like to thank our guests, former State uh, Health Environmental Director uh, Gary Gill and Board of Water Supply Chief Engineer Ernie Lau. And we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. If you have a comment to share, call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back, all of our shows are archived at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz, and Noe Tanigawa is sitting in tomorrow for Aloha Friday. Thank you.